So here we go. Drinking coffee. Talking. We're not gonna. We can't keep mentioning the brand. They have to pay us. <laughs> okay. I'm not gonna say it. It's uh, coffee. Yeah. So Thomas. I already fucked up. It's Tom. Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf, <laughs> Tom Wolf today. And you know it's funny. I never confused the two. People every time I would talk about Thomas Wolf, people would say, "Oh, Tom Wolf. You wrote that book about psychedelic book." Yeah. No? What are you talking about? I didn't even know who Tom Wolf was yeah. until probably probably five years ago. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe a little longer than that, but I, he wasn't on my radar. I didn't. Yeah. His books look too modern. <laughs> well, the <laughs> name. Me. Get out of here. The name is crazy. It also looked like I thought it was. <clears throat> I thought he was writing science fiction. I really didn't know that he was writing <laughs> the opposite. But you look at the titles of the books, and if you're being ignorant about it. It's easy to see. Yeah, read read some of these titles from the spine. So I've got there. the book. You know, we're going to talk about the electric Kool-Aid acid test today. That's what we read for today. But the this volume contains the candy-colored tangerine flake streamline baby. <laughs> right. I don't even know if I've actually read the name of that name of that book title. I read the whole book inside of it. And then radical chic and Mao Maoing the flack catchers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Now, did Tom did Tom Wolf do drugs? <laughs> I don't know, because I think he, he, I think he was just pretty wild in the mind, naturally. And I don't want to. I know last week when we talked about Dylan, I don't really want to go too deep down the road of let's get to the author instead of using criticism to get to the book. And I want to yeah. say, well, what was Tom Wolf's? You know, what was he doing when yeah, he was writing yeah, the yeah, book? Because yeah. then you get away from the story, I think. I agree. It's not to say you can't talk about that that essay we we read for... No, we'll get there. Before. Later. Yeah, but that's, Maybe. that's still talking about work and not... Right. You know, did, our, did Tom Wolf brush his teeth? You know? Mm. <laughs> oh, did Tom Wolf wear white sneakers? You know, because then... Yeah, yeah, it's just something... Did he? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he did. <laughs> I do know that he wore. He had some interesting fashion. <laughs> Looks choices. cool. I like it. Yeah. So, you read this book. Yeah. It's been a it's been a minute though, right? A few years. You didn't reread it. No. But you, you brought, you know it. Yeah. Because you had been telling me to read Tom Wolf for a while. Yeah. When I was reading his essay today, that. I forwarded to you and you read. I was remembering how much I enjoyed reading the electric Kool-Aid acid test. Like, setting aside what you feel about any of the characters. Actually, it's really interesting to me how you read it, which is different from how I read it, uh, which is, you know, to be expected. But um, I really enjoyed his writing, and it was just shocking to me that you could write that way. Actually, I was talking with Brian a couple days ago uh, about Jean-Luc Godard. I don't know if you've seen many or any of his films, but he was a French New Wave uh, director, um, really making a splash on the scene in the 1960s. He started out as a film critic, and 
<clears throat> we were both um, reminiscing about our first experiences watching his films and how we shared this mutual uh, sentiment of shock when we first encountered them. Like, I, I had no idea that you could make films like that. Like, it was, it was just very different from the very, like, highly structured, um, very polished Hollywood type of filmmaking, the, the, the French New Wave of the 1960s. I mean, people still do it um, these days, but more in an homage fashion or in kind of a, like, low-budget, you know, like, high school, college kids uh making films but as soon as you start to pay pay homage to something <clears throat> it is kind of the, um, the done the organic yeah elements die mm -hmm. that's actually how i felt about what was happening in this book interesting you felt like tom wolf was paying homage no 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 no, no. Oh. not tom wolf's writing i felt as though the merry pranksters were an organic Garden of Madness. Yeah. And then you saw them eventually come, you know, this gets into the plot, but you saw them come back to San Francisco after a, a lot of runaround and fugitive activities. Yeah. In Mexico and LA. Yes. Which I thought was funny. It's, LA is really just a dot on the map in the book. Yeah. It doesn't have the same spiritual. It's not a, it's not a center. It's not a center. They were there, <clears throat> they, you know, they did some things. But right. It was on to Mexico where things were hard, but then they came, they had to go back to the Bay. Anyway, you see once they come back, it's more towards the end of yeah. the book. You see once they come back that a lot of people who are clearly inspired by Kesey and Cassidy and yeah, maybe even some of the others yeah, of the, the Merry Pranksters and the, the ideology of it yeah. had started to their own movements. Yeah. I wrote down some of the names. I can't, for some reason, there's so much to try and remember in this book. But there were some other groups that sprung up, and then they became sort of political adversaries to Kesey. And there, there's, right. there's this, there's this talk of it being politics now. Hmm. And Kesey, Kesey's funny because he, at one of the most memorable moments <clears throat> in the book for me. And I think that this gets to the core of sort of what Wolf is telling you about the whole thing is that they were outside of sort of the protest movements. Yeah. And he says something about one of the speakers being like Mussolini and it shocked at the Vietnam protest. Yeah, yeah. It shocked the people and it enraged them that he didn't, he wasn't there to take a stand. He was there to like prank. Yeah. And clown on them. And yeah. Like, You're just part of their game. Yes. And it gets, it just to back, back to your point about things being sort of organic didn't know that you could do that and i feel like a lot of what kesey was doing was showing people things that maybe they had said man i didn't know we could do that not even just the drugs but <clears throat> just being outside of the dichotomy of the bullshit you that's know? so that's so interesting it's reminding me of uh something i heard recently that i can't place but i but which i do remember um Making fun, Kesey making fun of these protesters and protests, well, the demonstrations and, you know, the movement is funny because 
he's making fun of kind of this belief in dialogue that if we can just get the dialogue right, then we can figure out, then we can achieve what we want. You know, like if we all just write the right signs and people start believing what we've written on the signs and they take our reasonable position, then we'll solve the issues. But to stand outside of, outside of that and be like, your, your language games that you're playing are not it uh, is these, pretty interesting. These, it's are pretty always, funny. these are always the most interesting people, too. Yeah. These are the Ed Abbeys. Mm-hmm. That people so badly, either they want to cast him out from their political circle yeah. or they want him in there so badly. Right. But he's neither. He's, you know, he, he's not someone you can, you can hold. Keezy. Well, at Abbey. Keezy, oh, yeah. But Keezy, too. Keezy yeah. is... It's so funny. He's just hes just this guy. He makes people feel like there's a strong guy in the room. He's built like a wrestler. You can picture him, you know? He's yeah. kind of, he's, he's an alpha Burly. Dog. He yeah. is a burly guy, which is strange. Yeah. Right? But <laughs> he's, he's also mad, but he's also not. He's like a rock, really. There are people who yeah. have, have trips around him and... You know, a lot of them are paranoid and scared, yeah, yeah. and the first ones they have, and and oh my God, I'm slipping out. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm having yeah, a really yeah, hard yeah, time yeah. with this. And Kesey would come over and and say, "Yeah, we're here, but uh, you're gonna have to handle this on your own." <laughs> and and these people would be, you know, in that headspace yeah. of, "What do you mean? You're the lead?" You know, yeah. that was his leadership. Right. He'd be like, "I'm not." Holding you against your will here. Yeah, I'm not holding your hand. But but also very charismatic, and then he keeps yeah. he keeps the people there. Other than you know, like someone like Cassidy, is just mad. Right. And he's just chaos. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. bra- he doesn't use brakes driving the bus. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I could just see it instead of they would just bear it off the road and like into the dirt, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then around cars, and you. All I could think was, man, I've known people like that. You know, they just don't yeah. use the brakes in life. Yeah. Keezy didn't use the brakes either, but it's like he was driving a vehicle where he didn't need them. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it, it was just, it's interesting. You said that you didn't like any of the characters in this book. No, I didn't. I don't know if that was the right word. I don't like, I don't, I don't really particularly like drugs. Mm. I Obviously, I don't do them. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that they're anything to be glorified, and I think that they're sort of. I think that drug use is really a cop out, sort of, to mm-hmm. to the other realm. And this might be something we disagree on, but I think a lot of the experience of trying to nail down the actual present and yeah, I think that if you have to to alter your mind with chemicals to do it, it's not real. Hmm. I just don't see it as. I'm split on it. I think... Well, you're high right now. No, my God. <laughs> I can see it. No, I'm not. You're like, wow, you painted the kitchen pink. Huh? Oh, my God. Day glow. <laughs> Day glow. <laughs> no, it's just regular blue <clears throat> <and> teal. <laughs> no, on the one hand, I, I think that it is kind of a cop-out, or it can be a cop-out for some people. Um, I read the autobiography of Timothy Leary. Uh, last year 
and it was it's one of the best books I've ever read and it's very it's it would fit right I mean you could put that book back to back with this book in an anthology of books and it's it's the same story in a lot of ways and um, one of the things that I really liked about uh, Timothy Leary was that he would use these drugs LSD and then he was doing magic mushrooms in particular um, to solve problems and so he talks about how he he devoted like three or four sessions of LSD use to figure out a catchphrase for the hippie movement which he put in his he wrote a book and gave it the title turn on tune in and drop out um, which maybe we can read at some point but it was very much a, a problem-solving tool for him. Uh, but at the same time, I can see people who aren't really trying to solve problems in their own world. They're just trying to escape it uh, <clears throat> by, you know, pressing a button, by taking a tab of whatever. I can see how that, you can make an argument for that being like a cop-out. On another level, I also see that take, really desiring to see the other world is kind of like, or like if there is another world, does it really desiring to see it is um, kind of a, like one of those, for lack of a better word, like Apollonian things where you really like you can't just have faith that the other world exists and you can't live without having seen it like it's the the idea that everything needs to be named or everything needs to be put into sense perception like you can't just trust that something is doesn't there doesn't that get doesn't that put people like this into their own box of a dichotomy that all you're doing is trying to get to the other new thing that becomes almost like a physical entity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now you're just working between the worlds. And then maybe you even start to get bored with the one you have to live in. I think that people like Cassidy did. Yeah. They couldn't come down from the high. Some of them. Yeah. You know, Kesey did. Kesey went on afterwards. I think he did his five-month... Did he do like a cleanse or something? No, oh, okay. he did the he did a probationary work where he had to work in the farm. Oh in yeah, in Oregon yeah. near yes. where he was yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I think he pretty much chilled out after that and didn't. It wasn't like wasn't a cult leader anymore. <laughs> wasn't even a cult. Oh, really? oh was yeah, cultish, yeah, yeah. He, he kind of bailed on all that. Did well, you did you ever read his book? Well, he wrote a couple, but the one flew over the cuckoo's nest. No, but it, it's so strange to me that this is the author of one of those canonical works yeah it, well and then his I really want to read the other one about the Oregon yeah that one loggers. seems really I, maybe we should read that for the show another interesting thing because it's about you know you've got the social justice movement you know you stand by the union with the union guys which yeah. is noble in its own way but his character in that book from what I understand in the his big book not Cuckoo's Nest the, the other one I can't remember is somebody who who like strike breaks as mm -hmm. a logger mm -hmm. up in Oregon, 
and he's like the hero of the story. Right. So he's in Strike Breakers, a big. He's the guy who's sort of outside of the, you know, you've got the the boss fighting with the union, and the right. Strike Breaker comes in and is like. He's like the mad one, you know. That's interesting, especially late for him to later on go and make fun of people at these protests. Well, that's right. It's, yeah. it's, it's you know, there's something to be said about you coming out in what you write. Yes. Which is why people are always trying to figure <clears> out <throat> what did Bob Dylan? What was Bob Dylan saying in Murder Most Foul? And, and there's, we really shouldn't do that as literary critics. We, I know. I tried to not. But. It's so hard to not do that. Well, the difference is that this this is a novel, but it's not. <laughs> you're getting right. the real characters. You're getting real people with real events here. This is this is more of a Hell's Angels Hunter S. Thompson story. Right. And that's going to get into sort of reporting, right? As the art and. Yeah how how are you supposed to approach this stuff? I keep coming back to. I don't want to be an encyclopedia because I think that's impossible. Um, I wish I could. I wish I was that guy. Man, he's so smart. <laughs> I can ask him anything. I'm I mean, I think guy. it's fun to know things, but the encyclopedic thing is just not never going to happen. Like yeah. it'll, it takes too long. Um, there's just too much to know. You <laughs> the, can't do it. You ever watch Seinfeld? I've seen it? a few episodes. Um, there's an episode. Well, jo- I have a friend who asks me the same question all the time. You oh, watch, really? You ever watch that? <laughs> well, maybe he always this, has some anecdotes. This episode with George, and gives up having sex, <laughs> which should be easy for George because he's such a terrible. He's really a terrible guy. He's just not a good guy. He's shallow. Anyway. Yeah. And he, he has and this, short right. He's he has this short, newfound right? clarity. The short king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But he's this new clarity because he's not focused on it anymore. And he starts just like knowing everything. <laughs> and then he starts studying things. And, you know, so he's just, he's just at Jerry's and he's, and uh, the, like Jeopardy's on. Yeah. Or not Jeopardy. Uh, um, yeah, Jeopardy, right? Yeah. No, where, you know, they ask questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just like eating nuts and he's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jerry looks at him all, all funny like, what's going on with you? He, he knows everything. Yeah. And then he starts speaking other languages and stuff. <laughs> he just becomes like this encyclopedia. Uh, and then, you know, by the end of the episode, he, he goes back. He gets, you know, he gets involved with a woman. And he's like and a total idiot again. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, all my brain energy is going towards that. That's so but funny. it's just funny. Uh, I was there watching There was a time. It. Oh, go ahead. I was just the anecdote. Thinking about, thinking about how it's funny how he became a, a human encyclopedia. <laughs> Because he just reallocated the the, the energy. energy in his brain for that he was given to yeah. trying to get laid. <laughs> it's so good. It's very mentally intensive. Uh, anyway. I'm trying to experience or to think about the book according yeah. to my experience of the book. This is what I want to do. But I do know that that whole encyclopedic thing is super tempting and it'll be around always but it's heyday was probably like the the mid eight or yeah mid 1800s you have all these french novelists you mean in the novel well, you know like a leo tolstoy sort of war and peace approach yeah or even There's 500 um, characters and exactly like uh i was reading the, the count of monte cristo a few years ago oh, alexander right. dumas and he's oh. 
was Victor Hugo. Again. He he's doing his thing where he he has to write about architecture. He has to write about philosophy. Like it's a massive novel, so of course he's going to get to every topic and give his take. And even when you read uh, Les Miserables, like Victor Hugo, same thing happens. Um, it's on your shelf. Yeah. Uh, I read. Um, the Spirit of the Laws by Montesquieu. And he does the same thing too, where he writes this huge political treatise, but then for whatever reason, in the second half, he starts talking about biology. This is the Moby Dick, the Moby Dick as well. Yeah, Moby Dick too. You know, yeah. here's the history of lamp oil. Right. <laughs> this is, which is another, like, when was that made, uh, published? 1860 something? Yeah, it's right in the it's right right in the center. It's uh, of that century. It's it was a thing, and maybe it's coming back around. But um, I mean, I respect it. I like it. I think that it it it's something to aspire to. Uh, Vast general knowledge. Well, Wolf cast that off, but he doesn't. He but he does both. He's not giving you the backstory. How do you mean? He's not giving you anything outside of really where the seeds of this all popped up. Mm-hmm. San Francisco, La Honda, mm-hmm. partially in Santa Cruz. Yep. It's very California-driven, though. Yeah. It goes down to Mexico. They go across the country. But it's even, even when he's detailing the cross-country travels, he's, he's not giving you... He, he's giving you like a Kerouac... Mm-hmm. style trip he's not really the important part is San Francisco yeah Kerouac you know I've there's more than one story of Kerouac going across the country outside of on the road and he's like I, I hitched a ride out of Missoula and uh, it was cold and I drank at a bar full of veterans yeah and then he's out he, that's that's Montana that's it yeah that's the only thing he writes about he doesn't like give that. you and in 1865 in Montana when they settled the town. I really yeah. like that. It's because it's like diary entries. It's exactly right. And it's it's just off the it's off the hip beat mind, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I really like that style of writing and storytelling. Um, more than the like historian. I like history, but I think when you try to write a novel as history. It can be done well, of course, and it has been done, but well. Um, but it, I, it's not for me. Like, I wouldn't want to write that way, and so generally I probably wouldn't want to read that way, that, which is why I really like writers like Tom Wolfe. Yeah. And don't, don't you think Tom Wolfe's getting at that? And that? What's the name of that essay that we read? Oh, yes. Let me pull it up here. I think he's really getting it. Um, I have it. Yeah, it's stalking the billion-footed beast, and this was written for wasn't Harper's Harper's, which is funny. They tried to charge me when I tried to open it. The oh, second, did they really? The did second you, time. Did, oh, did you do like reader view or? I found this. Nice. I googled it and found an actual PDF, and read it. He's getting. He's saying, I thought this this essay nailed it. Because he does it and he doesn't do what the the novel that he's talking about in this book, Mm -hmm. which is the 
novel of experience and reporting, but he, he calls it reporting. Mm-hmm. There's a distinction I think that he's that he's making inherently between reporting and historical reporting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what Moby Dick is doing is is historical reporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dumas, yeah, historical reporting. You know, giving you the historical foundations. Right. Where, it's like if you only read one book in your life, and yeah. it's this one, you'll know everything you need to know. Well, we don't have the or attention you get a, spans you, for it anymore. Right, true. Well, yeah. You know? But what are you saying about reporting? He was, really, he was talking <clears throat> about in, in that, and it's so true, but it, it also, it's funny. He's saying that, you know, the, the idea of the, the novelist as a reporter, almost as a journalist, has been discarded for magical realism, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, he names. Yeah. But he really, I was looking for it, and I was waiting for it, and he finally came in, and he said, and Kafka, everybody wants to be in the Kafka-esque. And, yeah. man. Which is the dystopian. It's not even dystopian, though. It's just, it's just like, what the, f- what is yeah. going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, all those novels make you anxious. Even Garcia Marquez, in, in yeah, uh, he he made me kind of anxious in uh, Hundred Years of Solitude. It's just you can't make sense of the world that you're in. Mm-hmm. That's the point. Mm-hmm. The whole you know, and the characters are named. He says they're named after letters, like K. Mm-hmm. K is Kafka's guy is K a lot. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really have a name, right? Um, but because they're they're it's what's significant is not the reported on world. Or the character reacting to the world or having a heart to heart with it, but just the chaos of the the world that doesn't really exist anyway. Right. Yeah. So that as that but but Tom Wolf, even though he's talking about a psychedelic movement, you're still within a world that makes some kind of sense. Right. Even the trippy language at times, the day glow, paints, yeah, paint, yeah, you're yeah. like, man. You still get it. Right. You're not taking down Finnegan's Wake Road here. Right. Goobly glop. Boo, 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 boo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, what word is that? I don't know. I made it up. You know? Yeah. He's still within, he's still reporting. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. I won't, I, I'll let you talk now because I, I, no, no, no. I got my idea out there. But no, um, it's totally a reporting novel. Which I like. Yeah. I, I like the reportage. As I was saying, an episode or two ago, I like his native use of the language of the day. He, like, he sounds like a hippie. He sounds like a person who actually was a hippie. And it, I do wonder, knowing that he was a white suit wearing Mark Twainian, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I wonder if uh, on the bus he was wearing his white suit. Like, that well, that was actually one of the only things I knew about Tom Wolfe going into the book was that he was the white suit guy, and so I I wondered, but when did he start wearing the white suit? Doesn't did it he fit wear though? Yeah, I mean it does kind of fit Any, in. Anything fit anything made sense on on the bus. True, and especially if it's a white suit, it's not. That's not like a gray. That's not like a square. A suit that a square would wear at the time. I was thinking about how Keezy didn't really have the look of a hippie. 
Interesting. I mean, he's wearing the he's wearing the flannel thing, right? He's he's, he's basically doing the white like, the white jeans and tank top at times with red boots. Nice. And we tucked in, <laughs> and he's bald, and you know, but at other times he was wearing like spandex. He was just kind of he couldn't be they couldn't be confined or defined. Yeah. It was really the groups that came that hatched out of their movement. Okay, now we have a movement. Now we have the Grateful Dead. Yes. Coming up out of the acid rock. Yeah. Hatchery. And then you have, you have essentially what became the biggest era in American music out of all of this. Yeah. And then you had things that could be sold back to them. Yes. By that time, it seemed as, it seems, my reading is, the Merry Pranksters kind of fizzled out as the marketed elements came to be. They right. were kind of outlaws. They were hanging with the Hells Angels. Right. You know, there's yeah, some... insane shit happening that we don't need to mention. With the Hell's Angels? Oh, oh you wait. remember that scene? Of course. How could I forget it? <laughs> I read that and I went, huh. <laughs> That's a turn. I knew it was coming. Yeah. Because I had seen that in... The other book. Oh, that's that's a book I mean, of debauchery. Really? Oh yeah, it's a, yeah. It's the same. It's the same idea yep. with Thompson. Yeah. He just goes and reports on what was going on. They beat yeah. their wives, and they just they're pretty terrible people. Yeah. Or just mad ones, unhinged. You know, yeah. couldn't be defined. They wore like the swastikas on their helmets, and it, it seems like wherever they went, chaos followed. But that was they were that was it though. That yeah. was they didn't have a program. Yeah. They became again though. They are they, they still around? Oh yeah. Yeah. The angels they're they're worldwide now. Oh wow. And that's the thing they evolved from dirty outlaws who worked on trucks and driving truck and yeah. mechanics and and being this outlaw gang intertwined with the working yeah. class yeah. lifestyles they were living, and then they became an establishment. Yeah, Hell's Angels is. Do they do like charity work nowadays or something? <laughs> no, they they deal in narcotics and firearms oh. and human trafficking oh. worldwide. I didn't know. They're that. a major. Oh yeah, they're a major crime syndicate. Oh. Yeah, but they weren't necessarily that in the beginning. They were just motorcycle outlaws. Mm. The same goes for the Chicago outlaws out of Chicago. Right. They were just wild ones. You know, they came near town and. <laughs> They went, oh my God, they scared the cops. Yeah. You know, the cops in the in Tom Wolf's book, they didn't want to mess with any party I, the, the I, uh, I thought that Hell's the, Angels were in. I saw something um, for some protest where the Hell's Angels, a recent one in the past five years, where the Hell's Angels were like protecting the protest from crazy people. I, it might have been like a protest for life or something like that. And the Hells Angels came to protect the protest, which... It's so <laughs> funny. They will do security. That, yeah. yeah. They'll run which security. I thought was a good thing. They've done it very poorly in the past. The, the infamous Rolling Stones concert in the 60s. Or yeah. 70s. I, I don't know. I don't want... I keep... Well, I mean, nobody alive now is it would be guilty of that. Did you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Isn't it in People the book? died. Yeah. No, this has been covered pretty heavily. Yep. Do you remember the scene in, in the book where where the college kid, little college kid, he stands in front of a Hell's Angel and like just gets in his way at the one of the last gatherings, I think it's at Winterland or something. Yeah. Or when they're leading up to going to Winterland or having that event. Sort of like yeah. the closer curtain event of yeah. the book. Yeah. 
Which which le- ends with Keezy, like the last guy on stage, everybody leaves. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Anyway, uh, there's a moment in the part in a part uh, a meeting where the hell a couple of Hell's Angels are there. It's the Tramp, Tommy the Tramp. Is that his name? Yeah. Is that close? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get things wrong. No, I show. think that's what the name is. Uh, and he stands in front of him and starts smoking a cigarette, and he goes, "Hey, let me get one." And then he goes, "Let me get another. How about another? <laughs> how about another? Oh, how about your boots?" And then it just escalates, and this kid's terrified. He's like, "Here are my boots." And he's like, "How about your pants?" Oh my god! Just because he stood in front of this guy, and like, yeah, he he was just an ignorant like eighteen year old. You know? Yeah, and then he beats the kid oh, man. because these guys were insane. They're just mad. That. Yeah, totally mad. And and uh, man, motorcycle culture—you could get me going off because I love motorcycles. I don't know anything about it. I've heard some things, but. Um, I don't want to get off the book, but that is no. the book. That is the book. That's in the book. But, but it's kind of a pirate culture, I think. Like, which I think I don't. I don't necessarily want to say it's good, but I do think it's kind of good that there are, in its own way, and I think it's also an, an inevitability that you're going to have little pirate subcultures spin off of the main culture for the people who just can't be normalized into what is basically an abnormality in the in the course of history which is what we have now yeah that that actually makes me think of something you shared the other day not that these people are doing that in any conscious way but sort of living as a if you are uncomfortable Mm-hmm. You shared something, or you sh- you shared it with me. If you're uncomfortable with with the society in which you are in, American modern life, right? And you're having a a, a reaction to it, uh, like you're allergic to it, right? That uh, that that's the norm. That's, that's the natural the... thing to be. If right. you feel completely comfortable in this, that's the abnormality. That's the abnormality. If you are having a reaction and you, and you are being, you know, people are trying to put you on drugs and strip right. you of your, your manhood and yeah. rot you this side of the, the grave. Yeah. That's the normal, right? You're having the appropriate reaction. And I think a lot of these groups are a reaction to the same thing, but they're not consciously, like, man, I wish things would be better. Yeah, yeah. They didn't, like, do theoretical work to figure out, oh, my gosh, modernity is doing this. And right. And, the, and we need to embrace the natural reaction. But, but, but Keezy and these, this band, they are rejecting modernity. Oh, yeah. Well, Keezy was highly educated. And, so he, and also another character like Timothy Leary. These guys knew the theory. And they were actively opposing modernity. So a handful of them, you know, knew the theory. But it takes too long to teach every single person the theory. And that's why you have to come up with... A pirate scheme. (laughs) A pirate scheme or a pirate slogan like, turn on, tune in, and drop out. Right, or... We're writing a movie, the movie. Yeah, yeah. Talk uh, more about that. For the life of experience. Right. That's that's the way, that's the, the reoccurring theme of the book. The movie. 
Well, the movie's ongoing. They feel like they... they oh, because they're filming a movie the whole time. They are filming a movie. And it's out, actually. You can watch but it. I haven't seen it. The idea of the movie as a metaphor for their entire experience as a group yes. is also a thing. Yes, you have the actual... It's funny, Tom Wolfe is constantly referring to the array of wires and lights and all this yeah, shit that yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah, they have this Just apparatus. Every time they land somewhere, they have so much strobe lights. And batteries. And, and batteries. Yeah. It's just, oh my God, it's so much electricity and mm. energy. And Oh, that's really interesting. It, right? Yeah, because they can't, wow, that's just like us, you know? We're all going all, all over the place with our... Well, now we can do it a lot wirelessly because we have these battery-powered phones, but everybody, you can't just go enjoy anything. You know, it, it has to be recorded for your Instagram stories, which are your own private movie. It's, isn't it crazy, though? Yeah. That There was something more in the line of commitment to what they were doing, though. Yeah, well... That's, that's a committed experience. Not just I mean, people are committed phone. now. To short blips of things that they won't remember in well, 10 seconds. Yeah, but they like have to do it. You go to the cafe, They're you get addicted. your coffee, you have to go outside the cafe, hold the coffee cup in front of the cafe, take your photo while those your boyfriend are, is waiting or whatever. Then you put it away and you walk back in. It's I know that's the majority thing to do, but I think that's so wild. I, know. I still think it's so strange. I don't... Cause I, I agree. It is strange. When I see somebody put down a plate of food and the first thing they think is, I gotta take a picture of that. First thing I think when I have food in front of me is, I gotta get that in my belly. Yeah. You know? I don't care what it looks like. I mean, I've taken uh, my own fair share of, uh, of food and coffee pictures in my life, but I got over it. It was a phase. Um, I, well, you know, I think there's a... I think everybody needs to get over it. Like you, you were born into this time. You've been encultured to think and approach the world a certain way. Um, I mean, I still make fun of it, but I also understand. I like, understand it. If if I understand it, people are in it. Thornton, your brother, or somebody, yeah, while they're at work, takes a picture of something, posts it to the business page. Here's no, no, no I, know, I know what you're saying. I get this that. Is a different thing. But this is this is like. This is this is because a, there's something missing from in people's lives who are constantly doing this. I think. Well, it is a very like, to quote Paul Fussell, who wrote that book that I have been recommending to the the GC for like six months now. The book Class that he wrote is so freaking good, especially on a topic like this. Because what is coffee? Coffee is like is a low hanging luxury. You know, and so to take the photo of the coffee is to, and broadcast it to your following, is to locate yourself in a certain social class. Hmm. And uh, don't we do that with a lot of things? We do it with so many things, but it's like a really easy way to I think I did that to remind night. people daily about your class status. I think I did in that America. last night when I said I went to the fair, the count, the Western Carolina fair. Oh, what, to signal your proletarianness? <laughs> fair, fair wanderers of the world unite. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but it's like a fashion fair statement <laughs> for you to be a proletarian, I think. Uh, that, I'm, I'm petty bourgeoisie, if you might know. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, although I think you know, we're, the, we're that generation that is, is in the decline. 
I think, what do you mean? Well, maybe not. Uh, the millennials? We're not going to be in or supersede the class our parents were. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is funny, kind of. Like yes, yeah. in a in a in, in a sad way, I guess. But part of that's because they, well, they got lucky, so they think that they did it, but they didn't do jack. They were born into this uh, post-war si- situation. Here we go. <laughs> I'm not gonna get into it. It's <laughs> we're just like repeating past. These were the, these are this boomers, point. or are these pre-boomers? No, those are boomers. The hippies hey, are the boomer generation. Whatever you know. It, <clears throat> It's, Which is not fun. I don't resent it. I'm these, just these guys are really. I'm not getting into it. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have an episode on. We're well, just it's just gonna be called Boomers. We're just gonna read a book of quotes from like old people. Well, there and is the, that book like by Donald that Trump's woman. Poetry. I forget <laughs> what her name is. I have it. I think it's called Boomers. Oh, God. we can read it. I you know Boomers are my parents. Same. They're people I love. Very much. I don't believe it. I don't really have that belief in this generation does everything wrong and this generation did it right. I, I think. Right. No, I don't think that the boomers did everything they, wrong or right. Well, they lifted They lifted a lot of the... They put a lot of pressure on the institutions to lift things in the way of civil rights. Absolutely. Whatnot, no, which, these are you good know, things. Most people would agree. Yeah. Are good. No, I say most people. <laughs> most people would agree that those are good things. It's a complicated world now to talk about a lot of. Yeah, it is very know. complicated. It's, no, I, but, I understand what you're saying because some of these things were like weaponized, farcical charity, right? Done in the name of civil rights, but some of them were meant to destroy certain groups that were supposed to benefit from civil rights. Well, that that is, goes to the war on poverty. That's like LBJ stuff. stuff. But LBJ, yeah. That's... No, 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 that's, that's what all I meant when yeah, I was, yeah. when no, I was I, saying, I well, most saying. would agree, but it's complicated. It's not just an all good or all Right, bad. right. But, but Tom Wolfe is giving... He's writing of these people. These, are, these also, the, the boomer generation, also produced a great web of art and writing. Oh yeah, we can't deny it. But a lot of it was—it was just around the same time that commercial interests were able to just totally absorb it. Mm-hmm. Started. It's funny that Casey was on the run. Mm-hmm. He was the jungle scenes in Mexico. Yeah, he's like running over the banisters and hiding in the jungle, and he finds like a shack. Yeah, and he's getting bit by these bugs. And I then remember this. To come and running back, through the cane fields or something. Just cr- yeah, yeah, and getting yeah. cut on the legs. And yeah, I remember that. He, he makes it back. And he's Escaping like a... Mexican prisons. This was a thing that was like I know a guy. I know of two people who did this. He didn't escape a prison though. He wasn't in jail. He was in jail in Mexico, wasn't he? Not in the book. I don't think so. Really? He escapes the authorities. I thought he was in jail. Maybe, maybe. That's Could have been one of those chapters that was cloudy. Yeah. And then he gets he gets over the border and he's the cowboy, you know, yeah, yeah. The cowboy. And then, and then, but the, but he comes back up and he finally gets caught in in San Francisco. Yep. <laughs> and then they're like, all right, because he he's gonna convince the youth to not use LSD anymore. Oh, yeah. They're gonna graduate. That's the word. Yeah, they're gonna. They're graduate. gonna graduate. And oh, that was really good. And what's yeah. funny is because the whole book is heading towards this graduation. They start talking. But about the graduation it seems to me to be superseded by, oh, it's getting commercialized anyway. It's getting popular. True. 
And then by the, the graduation, people aren't that interested. There are competing groups. Yeah. And then, and then after that, you obviously have the ascendance of the bands that like the Grateful Dead. Yep. Uh, Mountain Girl goes to, to be with Jerry Garcia of that band. <clears throat> she ends up, which another part of the story, I couldn't really understand what the hell was going on. Yeah. Is she really have Ken Kesey's kid? I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. And, and in real life? In real life, in the book, in the book, she had a kid, but it's never explicitly stated that it's Ken Kesey's. It's it's never said. Oh, like, I thought it was Ken Kesey's kid. I, that's what Tom Wolf's giving you, like eighty five percent. Yes, it is. But it's it's he's so absent of it. He never. There's never a moment in the book where it's like, and Ken with his child. <laughs> right. And uh, that's just, and that that's so strange. The plot of the book is really that there isn't one. It's just colliding events. Well, yeah, it's it's a report. It's it's, it's a, report. a it's a long it's a book length news article written with beautiful style. Yeah. yeah. For the beauty of the style, to quote that one kid in Catcher in the Rye, it's not Holden Caulfield, but it's <laughs> it's a kid that he meets who's in is a college kid. He meets him in the uh Man. I read that in, in was, this bar since I was a wee lad and he uh, that line was my favorite line in the whole book he's ta- he's talking about reading what I, some precocious talk like we all do but he's he's doing the thing talking about books or whatever and and Caulfield says well, so why do you read that or whatever he's he's only 19 he's like well my boy something like that <laughs> it's for the beauty of the style oh and that line, I was like, oof. Why, why do you do anything? Salinger. For the beauty of the style. The one, the one novel. The one novel man. One novel wonder. No, no, he wrote a few. He wrote the collection of shorter story, short stories that are sort of novella-like, right? Yeah, nine stories, which is good. Is it good? Yeah, it's really good, actually. We could do it. We should do it. I would, like, <laughs> I would love to reread and nine out. stories. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, nine stories is great. Um, raise high the roof beam, carpenters, Franny and Zooey. It's good stuff. He good was stuff. angry Thomas Pynchon, you know. He was yeah. at Thomas Pynchon. No, angry Thomas Pynchon. Really, a, a recluse. When people found him, he was mean. Except for that one girl. It's like some some chick went and found him and. He was like, you're pretty hot. No. Yeah, and they had a, a little romance. In oh, it. really? Yeah. Oh, wow. No, actually, I don't like him as a person. He was not a nice guy, apparently. Uh, but I think it, it doesn't matter whether... No, it doesn't. It's, a, it, like, it's just the old tortured artist. Yeah, yeah. Shtick. But <laughs> Pynchon's better, just better at being the recluse. Yeah. Well, I like Tom Wolfe. <laughs> As an artist, I gotta say, yeah, um, because he's such a character. He's like like a real life character. You have right. Well, a lot of these guys actually, I guess, were real life characters. Um, but he's going and what does he, he has some line actually? I saved it today. I sent it to a friend of mine. I'm going to send it to you too. Uh, he says. I think all writers have to do reporting. 
It is not something that takes great technique. It takes a relentless willingness to act like a vagrant and hang out. That's it. I love that. It's, it's very true. I think a category of artists who are really good at this are photographers. And they call it embedding. Hmm. Brian does this in L.A. with... No, uh, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. He does. He do, he he's met a handful of people across the globe, but for his work in LA, he, he has this one guy he hangs out with who, who's a Vietnam War veteran, and uh, and he's always just this dude is a like a meth addict. I see those photos, and he's got all these issues. And Brian has shots of this guy shooting up, like... Yeah, I've seen... Everything. All the things that are just a life on fire. Brian is getting Brian photos is of this because he's, he's doing reportage, and it's great. Um, he's doing what the artist should be doing, which is, I think, a very respectable thing. Uh, and people need to keep that artistic approach alive you know where that becomes difficult and i know brian's married and has, he has a baby now yeah recent right mm-hmm where that it's still be it's still obviously doable but it becomes difficult to do a full excursion yeah when you have obligations <clears throat> when you have obligations you start to feel <clears throat> i don't know that tom wolf would be able to perform this, yeah, this type of thing, it's, this type of study. Yes. The madness of the writer, unfortunately, seems to be tied to almost a reckless treatment of themselves. Sure. Bukowski, Thompson. It's just, it's the same with philosophers. There's Baudelaire. There's that old line Rimbaud. about how you, there was never a great philosopher who was married. Um, that sucks. I agree. <laughs> but I actually disagree with that line. I, I mean, I know it's pretty popular, but Aristotle was married, you know? Like, yeah. and Aristotle's one of the greatest. He's canceled. <laughs> Bertrand Russell, canceled. for all of his philandering, was Too also skinny. married. Too skinny. Um, a lot of these guys, I'm sure you could could do your homework and find out. It's like but Christopher Hitchens. It's possible. Was like, married with kids. You just have to schedule your time <laughs> well. Schedule your madness. Schedule Honey. your madness. Who's the guy who made that line? That's a great line. We'll be the line. This will be the line show. What did he, what did he say? Be orderly in your life so you can be violently violent in your work. Who I, said that? I don't remember. Someone listening will know, and they can send it to us in the comments. Oh, meanwhile, that's reminding me uh, of the one guy who sent us that comment that we never posted. Is this about things I'm getting wrong? Yeah. <laughs> I do it often. Same. <laughs> I'm shooting from the hip here. John Wayne. Should we read it? Sure. I want to read it just to because I told him we'd read it on the show. Um, okay, this was in response to 
This is gonna be perfect. This is about the beat. This is Kerouac, right? Beat generation. This was in in response to our Dharma bums. Yes. Episode, which was episode. Trace, I believe. The pit at the pigeon life writes in. Hey, I'm loving the podcast. Not to be nitpicky, but I want to point something out about the Dharma bums episode. Jaffe Ryder is fellow beat poet Gary Snyder and not Ken Kesey. Uh, I believe Dharma Bums takes place in 55 or 56 based on a note from Kerouac establishing the chronology of his Deluo's legend. Mm -hmm. The novel mentions the famous Six Gallery reading, which took place in 1955. To the best of my knowledge, Kesey was not in attendance but Snyder was and performed. Neil Cassidy was a mutual friend of both Kerouac and Kesey, but from what I can find, the two did not meet until at least the 60s. And uh, at The Pigeon Life gives us some links here to help us out. And I will say that that couldn't seem more obvious now that I've met Tom Wolfe's character, Field. <laughs> right. I mean... I just had never... Ken Kesey, this is my introduction to him. Yeah. This is... This is the beginning... You know, this novel was me getting to know... I, I, I didn't even do another deep dive outside of the novel on Ken. Yeah. I still only know him through the book. I almost wanted it to be that way. So, it makes total sense now. If I had read this book and then said that, right. it, it would have been so far off. It would have been... How could I not make the connection? But I mean, totally. I, I forgot. I kind of just wasn't even paying attention. And thank you. And we welcome these type of corrections too. I, I'm please write in. We will be happy to read it. Yeah, on the show. That leads me to this in the book, though. On on in my edition here, on page three seventy eight, Tom Wolf names the the generation, and I was having a hard time with. Oh. With what to call this generation because... What does he call them? They're really an in-between. He says, the probation generation. Interesting. <laughs> Not the lost generation, the beat generation, or the silent generation, or even the flower generation, but the probation generation. Why with, does he say that? With kids busted right and left up and down the coast for grass, and all get off the first time on probation. What's well, Probation. With this millennium at hand, and it is because there's no earthly stopping this thing. Mm. So, you know, you think about what a probation actually is. It's just, it's like being put in time out. Right. But, but even in time out, Interesting, these figures it, yeah. are out of control. Because it was a, a prolonged right. like, youth, and that's why they have the youth, quote-unquote, youth culture. So, to not be the beats, yep. which were the predecessors, but to not be the flower generation either. They're sort of the guys taking all the heat, getting in the, in the trouble, but sort of defying it. Anyway. Oh, this is the in-between the beats and the, and the flower Well, that's, that's what I'm understanding. He's saying it's, it's... Oh, interesting. It's not the flower generation. It's not the beat generation. Did you mark off the, lo the paragraph about the beautiful people? Do you uh, remember that? No. There's... Is, that, is this like a part two of this quote, sort of? Well, do you have it? I could look it up, but it might take a second. Uh, Wolf has this paragraph in there about the beautiful people. And it's about, it's a 
fake letter that all these kids who dropped out, they left home, these kids in the 60s, they moved to San Francisco as hippies or become hippies and then they write to their parents about where they went and what they're doing and how they're surrounded by all these beautiful people. And it's really good. It's, it's funny. Uh, I wish I had it on hand. I know, I know it's somewhere in there. But and maybe I did mark it off. <laughs> yeah, I know. You got a ton of tabs on this thing. Yeah, I, 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 did, I did some things. That's, that's interesting, though. It's one of those poetic prose moments that Tom, Tom hits you with occasionally. He doesn't taste for yes. it. He doesn't overly. He doesn't over, overdo the, he, the striving for beautiful. And even though that is an analysis, it's still not in your face. It's not an opinion. It's yeah. St- it's it's reportage, but framed right. in such a way as to be analysis at the same time, which is incredible. He was careful because he didn't. You know, he didn't want. He didn't want to go through Hunter S. Thompson's. Debacle. <laughs> True. They beat him up. <laughs> Did they really? Oh yeah. No. Hunter, yeah, oh yeah. Hunter S. Thompson. He yeah, got his ass kicked. The Angels beat him up. What? Yeah. Wow. Something about I don't know. He called one of them out for beating up his girl. Oh yeah. And um, they didn't like that. Yeah. So strange. Such a different America. Yeah, and then he he went on TV, and the and, I saw that and he was like laughed out of the room. He was laughed at. Was he really? Yeah, they were the 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 Hell's Angel guy was just like, yeah, we beat our women, and the, the audience is laughing, and you're like, what country is that? <laughs> My God, <laughs> you think that is not America as I know it? Yeah, you know, uh, very strange, you know, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch that passage you were talking about. I don't think so. No, at least not, you know, directly. But what were what were you saying about them throughout the entire book trying to get to the present moment? Yeah. So there's this Kesey. It's sort of Kesey's philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. That he's he's not he's not using drugs just to trip, mm-hmm. and he's not trying to lead these people really even lead them at all but lead these people to trip just to experience strobe lights and glow paint it's part of I think it was I think it was him who was talking about it at some point trying to transcend or um, here we go the talks about trying to get out of the lag which is you know, when you think about something in the present, <clears throat> like, oh, I'm drinking my coffee. Mm-hmm. Well, there's two things that have already happened. Yes. By the time you take a sip of coffee, you already, you already, already passed yeah. the present of yeah. that. And you already passed the present of engaging the thought of doing it. Right. Well, you're always in the past. So, so right, you're always in the past. That's basically mm-hmm. what the, and he calls it. The, they call it the lag, you know. Mm. And they're... Um, one of the words that they use a lot is cinch. Mm-hmm. Trying to get cinched up. Like, mm. Or like sync, in sync. Yeah. To that present moment. Synced. Synced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that that ties into what they were doing with that, that movie 
and, and the mm. whole philosophy of their experience is to try and obtain the the true present, which mm. is I think is a futile thing to try and get. Yeah, but it, it, which is to try to get to the future, right? Yeah, but but do you remember the 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 is it uh, Owsley? Do you remember that yep. character? Yep. Is it Owsley who trips so bad he he thinks he goes to like seventeen eighty? Do you remember this? He has a, such a bad trip. Yeah. I think it was Owsley. He's, yeah. he, he's he, the one who makes the stuff, right? Yes. Mad scientist? No, yeah. he's not the mad scientist, but he's like him. Yeah. Anyway, there's so many characters. But yeah. I just read it fresh. You haven't read this in a while, so it's... No, you know, I think I do remember him being the guy. Owsley trips so bad that he goes backwards, and he's convinced <laughs> he's... In the he's in the eighteen hundreds or something. I mean, maybe he was. And then he <laughs> maybe he slipped through a layer of the wheel. He goes mad, and the only thing that brings him to come to is he crashes his car into a tree when he's <laughs> still high, and he like comes back, and he's like, oh, oh my god, I had this experience. But it's sort of a rebuttal almost if you're time traveling the other way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're transcending time, right? But. Uh, that's how I read the passage, anyway. I mean, yeah, you live in the future of a past. Ooh, ooh, Kafka, Kafka, <laughs> trying to get to the castle. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get to the future. I'm trying to get to the present. Oh, trying to get to the present, which you can't do. There's no such thing as the present. Well, it comes back to that thing about the people who insist on seeing the other world like they have to I can't just know that I'm always I exist in a lag I have to see what is beyond the lag isn't that funny though what do you mean well that even to, to need to see beyond the lag it, by the time it is you finish, weird by the time you finish even having the thought you're, it's already, that thought's already in the past it, yeah it, it's, it's kind always, of a, an, a it's like ridiculous like it's also hubris and uh, I don't know maybe it's a bit of navel gazing it's like who cares why do you need to see that I'm you know I'm not trying to be some paragon of anything but for me personally I'm fine living in the lag and knowing that it's a lag like so what you if effectively you're only a little bit behind, you know, and who cares? The, the best that you can do is, is exist with what you're experiencing. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. The you, question becomes, is it okay to exist with what you're experiencing on LSD? <laughs> <laughs> Here it is. Here, here's, here's sort of the beginning of our philosophical journey through the book. And, of all, and all those things are keeping us out of the present, mm. Kesey is saying. Out of our own world, our own reality, and until we can get into our own world, we can't control it. That's another, that's another oh, big word throughout the book is control and power. Yeah. Kesey is a subtle power-driven figure. Yes. And control, it's funny to lose your mind and to melt it away almost. And to be this, not in control at all. But is... is a new control. It's the it's the control. If you can master that, yeah, we can break through to get to our own world, have our own movie, have our own. Well, which is another thing too. When there's, which goes along with that whole 
constellation of ideas, you know, making fun of dialogue. Because as some very famous speakers have memed a lot recently, dialogue presupposes truth. To make, and when you have no truth, the only way you can get your way with another person or another entity is to have power. That, like, if we both agree that reason should dictate how we relate to one another, then we can have a dialogue. And reason is a way, is a thing that we use in order to get to truth. So we're both appealing to reason to sort out our differences, and then we don't need to resort to power necessarily. Um, you can get into the minutiae with that and make it a, try to make it a power game, but it really isn't one. Um, because reason should be, for the most part, impartial. But if you get rid of reason, and you're like, well, reason doesn't exist, dialogue is futile, then the only thing that you have to sort the differences between you and another interest is power. power dynamic. It's a power dynamic. So maybe that, for them, you know, what, what was also one of the big words, actually we wrote it down when we, when we were talking before the, the broadcast, um, one of the biggest words in the 1960s was the word experience. And when you don't have reason to help you sort out your world, all you have is personal experience. And this creates tribalism and oh, all these other the things. postmodern god. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jimi Hendrix experience. You know, you said uh, experience versus the life. Or, or not, not up against it, but... Compared to... Yeah. With... Well, they're trying to get... They're, they're calling it the life. Um, Is it did, capital T or just capital L? I, both. Oh. That's why I thought it was an interesting thing to sort of highlight. I need to see if I can find it, but... Let's see. I know that, yeah, so the life, I think it's all sort of tied into that life of control. <clears throat> um, oh, yeah, the names of those groups were the Family Dog, the Diggers. Those were some of the, the pop-up groups that yeah. challenged Keezy a little bit. Huh. Still recognized his sort of authority as, as a, an OG. Yeah. <laughs> but <clears throat> um, I'm just, I, I don't even know where that was. Um group will yeah it, it, it's just such a mess i'm still working out my college days here what, but, are, you, what are you looking for there's there well here's what we could talk about is is how you know the, the character black maria this to tie it into the life mm -hmm. do you remember her they meet her in mexico yeah couldn't tell if she sort of became one of Keezy's love interests for a bit young mex uh, she wasn't a mexican girl she was actually from san jose hmm. But she was down there, mm -hmm. and she just joins in, as any prankster can. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that... She gets on the bus. One of the things that... Right, she gets on the bus. Which is called what? The, uh... I think it's called Further. Further. <laughs> it's so funny. Because <laughs> <It's... laughs> 
I couldn't help but read it, but like fur, like fur. Oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> like, but it's just got one other. Uh, it's got one other letter, and then uh, the. Yeah. But I was just thinking. You like, need to get off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, what does further even mean? I have no idea. Well, it it is, you know, with the whole lag thing. But I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's good. But I don't know. It's just edgy, you know. It's just it just seemed edgy to me. Yeah. I wasn't even making that connection, but. It's just funny to call your bus. Is these some of these names are really adjective? weird. Yeah, I saw this movie <laughs> recently called uh, Shoot. It's a Francis Ford Coppola movie. Tetro, something like that. And in the movie, there's this literary critic woman, and her name is Alone, and she's like this mystical figure almost. I don't know. It, it was That's just a funny. funny name. I was like. Alone. Another. Who would ever be named? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Who would ever be named alone? Well, whatever. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Well. Well. What I was. (laughs) What I was saying with with Black Maria is uh, the thing that that is noted about her is that she joins up with this with the group in Mexico. And in in italics here, it's pretty important text. He says, so much of the fire concealed, he's talking about her, by the dark and pretty beauty lies just that deep because she does it without belief. Hmm. She doesn't actually believe in the philosophy emanating from Kizzy and the pranksters. Interesting. But she's still in it. Huh. She does it without belief. It's said more than once. Yeah. And that gets into the trouble of, well, is it... Is it, is there an issue with her cinching or sinking up? Yeah. Cinching? Sinking. We'll say sinking. Yeah, it's sinking, but maybe it is. There's Maybe cinch is another way of saying sinking. She's sort of a character that operates, she's there. Yeah. But she's not there like Mountain Girl's there. Mm -hmm. Mountain Girl is an energy force. She is on the bus. She's on the bus, man. She's which is a funny threat. But she's actually, that happens a couple times. Like, get on the bus, or we're gonna. If leave you don't you. like it, you can get off the bus. Well, there would be times and, and, somebody took too long and yeah, they left them. And Keezy's like, "Listen, man, that's your movie. That's not our movie, right? Right." <laughs> which is that I've seen that line popping up but over then, the past couple of years. People using like using that language. But then that's your movie. Uh, What's his name? He leaves. Which is true. He it, leaves it, the bus. Different things are your movie. And he says, "Now you're, in, you know, now you're in my movie now." Which is, I thought it was hilarious. I think it was name was. Oh, because being on the bus is Keezy's movie. It was just, it was just like the ultimate. Not even prank, but they got. Was it? Is there a character named Paige? Yes. Is there? Yeah. See the one with the motorcycle. I don't remember. All of a sudden, there's a guy with a motorcycle who's yeah. not a Hell's Angel, and but he and you identified with this guy. Well, no, he he <laughs> takes everything. He takes all the music equipment off the bus, all right, of the right, recording right, stuff, right. and and uh, I think it was Babs. Mm-hmm. Babs says, "Hey, man, not cool." Yeah. He said, "I'm just gonna go for a ten minute ride to see if my bike can do it." Oh, he steals it. <laughs> And then he, he hides behind the shed, and they're looking for him because he took all their shit. Yeah. And then he has it all mailed to New York and then rides a motorcycle up to New York from that's wherever so, they that's are. That's so funny. And 
I don't I don't recall anybody even being mad. They were like, oh, he pulled us into his movie. <laughs> you know, that was the move. He he was pulled in. We were pulled. Oh, he turned the tables. Like, kind of, kind of sweet. Dude. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> God, whoa, that was a prank. You know? Yeah. We I, got I pranked. I think they were mad at first, but they were kind of like, damn, that's pretty swift. Yeah. You know, he, he hit out, mailed it all, got up to New York and got a job up there and then. I don't know. He might, maybe he did something. With started it. using their equipment. Made his own movie. So funny, but that was the type of you know there was no allegiance to people. Yeah, that's another side of the whole story. There's no allegiance to individuals. You're uh, on the bus. You're not on the bus. Yeah, that's another interesting thing too. To respect the, to at the bottom of a situation have respect for the person who ended up making it into their own narrative. Making it like. Yeah. You know, we were all on Kesey's bus with being characters in his movie, but yep. now this guy has taken everything, and now we're a part of his movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was... it, it, it's kind of like uh, when the leadership changes and they have the agenda changes, and now, Do you remember that? now you're in someone else's movie. I don't remember that. No, Babs took over for a while when Kesey oh, was right. down, and it was because he was in jail. He was yeah. Was he in jail or he was in Mexico or? Well, he he's in jail for a little while when he comes back, right? Yeah, I'm still trying to piece it all together. But you probably know it better than me. It's been a while for I me. really think that Babs took it over while they were in Mexico. Yeah. While Kizzy was in Mexico. They yes. were still up there in in the Bay Area. Hmm. Or, I don't remember. But Babs took it over and the dynamic shifted. He wasn't an authoritarian, but he was much more of literal power. Yeah. He started, like, giving people tasks. And, yeah. And, yeah. It, and it, it wasn't... The, it was fine-ish. Yeah. Nobody hated him over it, but there were there were there was a team. There was like an inside group of anti-Babists. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll call it Babism, <laughs> because he was sort of a traditional power structure. Yeah. And that brings me to some of the other things. So the feminine approach to power, or at least maybe her approach to power, was was Babs a woman? Oh my god, did I miss that? Wait, I thought Babs was a woman. I don't I don't know, maybe. Oh uh, well, somebody will listen to us and give us a nice verbal spanking <laughs> and we'll read it on the show. That's the thing, you don't even know necessarily know who the what the genders are of these people. I thought anything. Babs was short for Barbara. Oh wow. But I don't know. Dude, oh man. Maybe maybe my there's first, some other first read through. Some other dude with um, I don't know. There's really some kind of bab name. You know, we try and do so much of this in an hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes. And there, we try and dance all over the place. But, like, you could you could dissect this for two hours on just power dynamics and hierarchies. Yeah, and that would suck. That, I would, it would hate suck, that. But you could. But now I'm, that's where my mind is at the moment. Uh. But I don't pay attention to things for long. So I'll be on to something else. But there is definitely a power stru- structure that has established Kesey as sort of a canonical figure to the movement. Mm. That the cops are almost after him because of that. Not because they want to bust him on the crime, but because, has anybody seen him? Right. You know, like that mystical... That's interesting. Well, you know, that is interesting that the 60s was an era of great men. It was a great man era. Great man era. Um... Impossible. Even maybe great women. Was Arnold Schwarzenegger doing anything yet? Because he's the... <laughs> he's the greatest. 
<laughs> no, you had JFK right at the beginning. You have Timothy Leary. You have Ken Kesey. You have um, Martin Luther King. You have uh, Malcolm X. You have all Baldwin? of Sure. Was he a little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like he might have been yeah. more of a 50s guy, but... Uh, well, you named some of the civil rights writers, and I'm thinking, man, Baldwin's... But you have, in the era, these were... huge characters. Um, I don't think we've had people that were, like, that significant just on their own as characters. A lot of it, a lot of our great people for a while have just been great because of the office that they hold. Um, you mean now? Yeah, or even in, you know, like the 90s, the 80s and 90s. It, it, don't don't really... you think don't you think that greatness requires an, an ability to pay attention to somebody for a long enough period of time? We're turning like attention span. Uh, sure, sure. I see what you're we we have people who are great for a minute. I mean, you think you think about great athletes? Right, you have to be able to hold attention. Well, but arguably, for the last 20 years, we've had, well, we've had a lot of actual, we've actually had a lot of stagnation in a lot of areas where you didn't have a lot of turnover of people who are at the top. Um, because you can look at pop music, you can look at, even in uh, sports, like, you for tw- about 20, 24 years, same people at the top of, every industry really like no movement um which is a kind of like a wintry type thing um according to some analyses that <laughs> we'll i won't get, get into, into. <laughs> no we won't do it today at some point yeah uh but then but even so even though you have people who are at the top of a certain game for a long time they don't feel i don't think that they'll be as memorable I don't think anybody's really going to remember these people. Like they'll they'll much more quickly become footnotes. I think uh, you might rather remember, than having their own paragraphs and chapters somebody, of history. Somebody in like, American history, that is. You might remember somebody like Tom Brady. Sure. Because what he did was he became the great one, and yeah, then absolutely. he beat then he beat himself. Yeah. No. So he's, you almost have to do that. He's he, incredible. He he's he's like put himself so far ahead. Yeah. That, you know, that to be the great one, you just had to beat the next guy at something, you know, in sports. Right. But he he made himself the next guy and then beat him and then made himself. You know what I mean? So he's, it's Tom Brady behind him. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's an incredible thing to do. You know, and there's, I, I'm not a sports guy really, but. Me neither. I appreciate greatness. When yeah. Tom Brady wins a Super Bowl, and I hope he wins it again, because I think it's, sure. I think it's amazing. Yeah, that somebody could be so good at their craft. Yeah, that, and it just you could tell a lot about a person how they respond to somebody like that. Yeah. You oh, know, to greatness. To greatness. If you, somebody who really doesn't have any stake in the game, mm. just hates the guy, mm. tells me a lot about you. For sure. It's about your your values, your aesthetic beliefs, your absolutely or lack of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you should appreciate that. You have to adjust, yes. you have to rewire your mindset though to appreciate it. You can't because we are an envy culture. Mm. You know, my neighbor has more than me. Mm-hmm. My neighbor has a better car than me. My, yeah. Well, 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 he must have 
stolen some from somebody. You know? Brady stole his. And people his say work that ethic. he deflated the footballs. You know? Oh my gosh, I don't know anything about that. I've never been. <laughs> I've never really been a football guy. Right. I, I respect the game. I appreciate that people appreciate it. I'm using it as a metaphor. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it is impressive to to be at the top of your game for so long. From another perspective, though, if you're in that kind of generational winter, someone's going to end up at the top and they're just not going to move just because that's the nature of what happens in that that kind of generation. Even if they maybe should have been bumped off. For example, I'll, I'll switch domains. If you go to music, in this pop music, it's, I think a lot of it, I don't think that it's this way in football, but I do think that it is this way in music where it's not in the interests of recording companies labels to have stylistic churn to have great artist churn like because that's friction and so you have to change all these things in your organizations that were built to prop up a certain artist and their whole production process because now in the the generation likes a new kind of music and you know this is how you end up having uh like rihanna with all due respect, for 20 years, you know, or Beyonce at the top of the game for 20 years, or um, I don't know if I would say I Taylor Rihanna Swift. Will, I don't think they'll have 20. Beyonce has been there for a while. I don't think Rihanna will have a 20-year career or Billie Eilish. I don't think Billie Eilish will because I think that she's coming at the end of a, oh. of a aesthetic cycle. But I, I think that... And, and thankfully, it's the end because now the radio stations don't have as much power as they used to. So what, I'm, what I mean to say is that the, the labels that had these relationships with the radio stations could make it so that they're paying people to not, they're paying stations to not play new music that is going to allow for a shift in taste. So they like keep the kind of music that's out there more consistent and so for the the mob mindset which uh wolf calls the mob the middle class who wants to be in the know with what's popular that's what they want to listen to whatever is pop and whatever is pop is going to be on the radio uh well their taste because they're not trying to change their taste they want to just be in line with what's popular so if you control the outlets by telling them don't play new stuff or don't play stuff that's going to lead to new things just play our pop shit that we've been playing for 20 years and you can go online go on a youtube and find all kinds of videos about how you know the question has pop music stagnated like why hasn't or well, is you, culture dead why can't we make new movies think, don't you think that's because what happened at the turn there with even what's what was happening here with Keezy, the beats emerging into what it calls a probation generation, but yeah. that's not an official name, but it's just funny. But but then obviously into the flower generation and the, the boomer generation, what you had was what you have this whole book that's happening in relation to what you're talking about is the, the industry or the infrastructure is reacting to people like Keezy mm -hmm. who are really more powerful 
because they're really culturally underground and culturally relevant. Well, Keezy was real culture. Right. And but, it almost seems actually... I they want to bottle earlier. that, and then they did well, it. Well, the way they bottled that lightning is with the bands. That's what I mean. Right. Right? And then so... Because the, the band becomes an instantiation of that culture. Absolutely. But since the 70s onward, you've had what... They weren't reacting to what people were organically producing. Now... They're telling us what's going to be popular. Right, right. They're it's producing not actual it. culture. They, it's right. It's culture from they, the corporations. They can take somebody who's got no talent, no heart, no soul, like Bad Baby. Sure. Do you I don't know, know this? No. Don't do. Don't even. Don't do it. <laughs> okay, so they take this person. They take this person. Yeah. <laughs> don't do it, dude. <laughs> they take somebody like that who's obviously no no promise, no talent, no brains. Yeah. But they see that they can mold the culture from it. Yeah. They're not saying what they have. Well, they to can do. use this person to sell certain it. ideas and things. And to get back to the to why I think maybe we're not gonna ha- we don't have enduring artists anymore is because for each gener each generation, the beats ble- the beats are a natural bleed in. Yeah, progression into what this is becoming and yeah. what what's being described here. Even the writing is very Kerouac. Oh yeah, it's very much spitting from the from the shooting from sub- the hip, shooting from the hip, subconscious yeah, s- stream of consciousness, right? But free, free association, absolutely. And there's a logical path there. But what our corporate structure is doing, and you see it right out there. Yeah. Right, and they've done it with every corporate exit. mandated culture. Corporate mandated culture is they, but the, what they're doing with each generation is saying, okay, they're put, they're just putting them over on the assembly line and saying, this is what we're going to sell to them. Yeah, this is what you're going to like. This is what you're because this like. is what's available. So, so this generation gets TikTok. The generation to come up next probably will get something different that they'll just have ready for them. Well, and this, so these, this is why we need pirate people. We need, we need, yeah. Who are the pirates then? Who are our pirates today? I don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we do. We need mad ones. And you know what? It needs to come from a political spectrum that's wide and vast. And they yeah. just need to be mad. Yes. We need to have the mad ones again, like Kerouac was talking about. Yeah. It doesn't... And the mad... It's funny, though, too, because the mad ones are probably not going to be the ones necessarily broadcasting their shit. They're not like devoted to the phone to where they're living the mad life and then they got to take photos it's like it the mad ones to me would probably be like the quote-unquote dissident people who are going to the real burning man that they're not photographing like it's the kind of thing that you would only hear for about by word of mouth like you're not they're not taking photos of this shit because they're too busy enjoying it yeah i think that that's an element to it um, I think I think it also goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning is people who who are not easy to put in any of the boxes we've made right saying man I really don't know his politics yeah you know I, I mean I don't know and that makes people if they're making people uncomfortable right there yeah you know I really don't know what the hell this guy believes yeah know? yeah He's all over the place. Yeah. You know, you think about how mad the Hells Angels were and just organically mad. They just yeah. got roused. They roused everybody and made it. Which is, I think, one of the great things about Hunter S. Thompson 
I'm not a mad one. He's a madman. There's a song by a hardcore band. You should listen to it. It's called These Mad Dogs of Glory. And it's about the writers that through it's about Bukowski I'll read the lyrics because I can never understand anything it's these guys clear. are saying it's, <laughs> it's actually pretty clear but it's it's just a it's it's a cool song lyrically about the mad, the mad dogs like yeah. like Bukowski's mentioned um uh Rimbaud yeah. Rimbaud on the Red Sea Strummer and the, Joe Strummer nice Plath at her daddy's grave and Hunter with his gun. So Hunter Thompson. Oh, I like that. Image. Sylvia Plath. Beautiful lyrics. Yeah, I mean, that's great. Uh, these punks, these cowards, these mad dogs of glory. Even Gigi Allen, like crazy. You know, people laugh at him today. Yeah. He broke barriers. He was, yeah, real barriers. He was disgusting. None of this glass ceiling crap. <laughs> but you know, I come from punk rock, and that's punk rock is maybe the most conservative thing happening right now. Yeah. And I say conservative, I mean people who. Well, it's a, tri- it's a traditional art form now, but the, but at this point. But, but also, one of the things about punk rock is that it's very much a response to uh, consumption. So it's in that dialogue. But, it, but like it's from that. So it's going to be like completely soaked in, in uh market thinking mm. i think it's it's very much a con, it's like a consumption uh centric it's very much focused on that's what i think it is because because the whole grunge punk rock world of ideas is a response to consumption it's like we're not going to be fancy we're going to be the opposite of that which is a very um it's like a very rich person then, thing to do. But then it gets rich sold. kid thing to do. It like, does. Well, I'm gonna dress totally shabby, and I'm, it's all gonna suck. But this only happens when your when your uh, culture or your nation is doing really well, or when your subculture as such is has been bought and sold. Yeah. And then you know it brings me to that thought. That and the record labels made that a thing. Yeah. Granted, maybe there were some real ones, some real mad ones, like the actual homeless kids who started off in a garage. There's a lot of that still, yeah. but, but it's just it's just strange to me that I don't want to be going off. I mean, I, I still love it. I still listen to a lot of it, but there's there's an element of it's same thing here. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's an element of resistance. Well, I think one of the problems with punk rock is that it's not creative anymore. Now it's all homage, which we were talking about earlier. And I think that as soon as something is homage, well, you said this, but I think it is true. Like, the problem with punk rock is that it's completely homage, where, I don't know, it's, you're not finding new versions uh or new genres there aren't really a lot of new genres i don't know i i, I don't know if i even agree with that sonically because there yeah. are some bands that have really sort of respawned the genre really there's there are bands like uh, there's this one turn, i want to hear it turnstile who i've heard some latin <laughs> there are some good ones. punk rock stuff that's really good there there's some good hardcore punk bands from Colombia. yeah uh you know, these people are coming, a lot of these bands are coming from, from, like, the old, 
It's like the old ethic. Yeah. So, but but sonically, a lot of these bands are fantastic, and I actually think a lot of good bands are happening right now. I'm not one of those mm. people who's saying all the good stuff's come and gone. It's more. No, I don't so, believe that. I I only say that as a as a comment. Sure. For wanting new. Like someone come up with new things. I don't know if that's I th- possible. I, I think it is possible. Doesn't that get into Wolf's essay? Yeah, yeah, it does. Let's hit that. Let's and hit then, it, and then it. we'll call it. We got, call it we a got day. Thirteen minutes. Yeah, go ahead. That gets into Wolf's essay. Yeah. Because he said, he, it, "This is funny. This is a perfect segue. It's a perfect way to end our t- our chat here." Because, you know, in, in what punk rock is doing, or what rock is doing, or whatever is going on. They're still all, they're still all paying homage, and they still have to toe a line that's prepared for them. Yeah. Now, in Wolf's essay, what he's saying, I think, or what he's getting at, he's saying, look, the the exper- the novel of reporting, yeah, has been washed away by the, um, by the same thing that I'm talking about, by the cultural guards. Yeah. And he's talking about trying to report New York mm-hmm. and, and how much of a task that is and how he can't stay ahead of the news cycle. Yeah. <laughs> because you, because what, what does he say? The subway. He's like, how, the subway. he's like, you can tell the craziest story, but give it a week, but give it a week. And right. you're not really requiring all that much of a suspension of belief because the world is littered with insane stories like this and now and now it's it's right there and you know i'm writing my own book and it's it's my god i can't even make it dystopian <laughs> right <laughs> it, it, it you know people say 1984 came and went animal you know animal farm came and went because we're well past that yeah brave new world isn't even where yeah. we're at anymore right we're, we're into the world of hey we can program human beings with technology yeah what the f- you know what the f man you know yeah um, but but Wolf, what he what he's saying is we need to re- we should strive to return to being, or at least to have, make space for the great reporting novel. I think that's good, and I want that. And and he has some lines in there about uh, the write what you know thing. Mm-hmm. And that can be lazy though. That's what he says. No, I I fully agree with his analysis, and I and I I felt guilty because I was thinking to myself, yeah, I've done that thing where you mine your first twenty five years. Right. Right. It should be. And I do think that in a way, it is something that you need to get past. That maybe you should do it even as an exercise to get it out of you, so that you can move on. To getting that second novel, which you could treat as your first novel. The graduation is to go from write what you know to write what you allow yourself to get to know. Mm -hmm. Or force yourself to know. Yeah. Like he does. So what do you think about that? No, I I agree with that. I think that what he said is, while while I was reading the essay, I was thinking to myself, this guy is my professor right now. This guy is my teacher. I wish. Well, he can be if you just read his books and listen to his I'm going to go to college. Yeah, go go to take your your English lit American literature from Thomas Wolfe. And he mentions all these writers. He doesn't mention his daddy, Thomas. <laughs> oh, he doesn't? I'm sure he knew him very well He's and the I'm king sure he of probably, the reporting novel. I, yeah, but I'm sure that he 
he purposefully leaves him out just because their names are basically right. the same. But for the I'm aware that it's necessary to be connected to tradition and that it's also almost impossible and maybe even not desirable to try to completely extricate yourself from tradition like the Bauhaus people did. I think that was completely foolish. I think that if you're in Western civilization, it should look like it when, mm. you, when you have your architecture being, or at least your civic architecture should be Western civilization architecture. This is what, what I think. At the same time, say for like re religion, you know, you have a lot of people who are like, well, the reason why the world sucks right now is because our, our forefathers didn't catechize one another hard enough. Like they didn't remember all the rules for how to think about all these biblical and, and uh, ethical and political questions that they would have known if they just remembered these um, catechisms. I think that's error as well because it doesn't inspect or acknowledge that the reason why we've moved on in large part from all of those things is because of the philosophical problems that were inherent in them and in the peep in the milieu that made made those catechisms come about these are like rules of belief for denominations of christianity and i think what's necessary is futurism there's this guy <clears throat> his name's guiam fei i don't know if i should mention it but whatever uh, Why? Is he a bad dude? I, like I don't think pop? he's a bad dude. I don't know anything about him. I know a little bit about him. Is he, is he like but, a Vola? Yeah. Oh, he is? Okay. Yeah. But anyway, he has this book called Archaeofuturism. And to me, that's what we need. Is we need people who take the best from the past and challenge the past to make better futures. And that is, Jesus talks about this. You don't put new wine in old wineskins. And that's what's happening right now. A lot of people are like, well, I need to be religious. I'll go find an old wineskin. That feeling that, of, of a need to be religious is new wine. But you're putting it in an old wineskin, a lot of these people. So we need new cults. We do need new cults. I'm serious. but <laughs> We can but, do this. <laughs> What we need is, is archaeo-futuristic <laughs> Christianity. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm serious. But, but we, Yeah, anarcho-archaeo-futuristic <laughs> Christianity. Uh, Jacques Ellul... Christian communism. <laughs> ...talks about this anarchic Christianity. But I, we need that in art. We need people to mine the past and be violently in an orderly fashion in order to be violently creative with futuristic art like enough of this attitude that nothing new can be done you know oh there's nothing new under the sun like okay in a way there's nothing new under the sun but there are a lot of new things but that I, we've done I, since I, I think that the people who do that who create the new the writer of ecclesiastes who, who create the new do it without without keep without that being a thought like i think i don't and to bring it back to the book kesey is creating is forging a path without i mean yes he's he's talking about some ideas but really 
even as his leadership role, he's organic. He's just, that's why he steps outside the thing and he's like, that guy's like Mussolini. He's like a leftist pro, uh, protester. He's yeah. like, that's Mussolini. You know, he's just, ah, he's not thinking, he's not analyzing that. Yeah. And saying, you know, robotically, the people around him who were leading these protests, however high-minded and well, uh, well-meaning they were, were still part of a rigid yeah. the thing you're talking about. They're part of. They're filling the roles. There's very few people. They're not being really few. new. You have to have deep charisma. You have to have ideas that are emanating from you. They're not necessarily spoken from you. These are the people. Yeah, who, they're emanating from how you live. How you live and how you are. Not necessarily what you say. Exactly. And how and, you are. And I have friends that. Uh, aren't necessarily like you know i have a good friend from back home i won't name him but he's he's uh the type of guy you trust you you would trust in a lot of situations and it's not even because of anything he's ever said or any way he's ever postured you just go man i feel really confident in that person's ability to get it done Mm. and you think about that person he's and if i was ever in trouble i want that guy in the passenger seat with me Because I, I, he knows how to sit there and calmly think through situations. And that's the type of person who forges something new. Mm-hmm. Really, they might be chaotic people, but they're, but they're not... Like, if you want to talk about politics, you know, and you look at, you look at some, a lot of our popular politicians. Mm-hmm. I won't go into naming names. I don't want to really go there. But they are so adamant about fulfilling their role in the box you know that they're in and being the voice of they something they gotta hit old, their talking points hitting their talking points and people are so tired dude they want they want uh, they want the new they they're want real. new madness you yeah. know and that's you know I guess I know a whole discussion but it has to be organic it just has to it has to come organically you can't sit to, my, my last point is before I turn it back you talk about music hmm. you can't just say you know what we need something new we need to take punk rock and put jazz in it and just mix these two things. And yeah, think that's ridiculous. This band, Turnstile, from L.A. and Baltimore. I mean, if it ha- I'm open to it happening. They're but... the type of band that just rode the wave of energy and popped off because of it. And now they're, they're speaking for a generation. It's amazing to watch it. They're a fat... And they're, they're jazz punk rock? No, they're just, they're just, I don't, they're just a, a big hardcore band and they just rode in energy. And people, you hear the band and you know that's turnstile you know mm. and if you can with music if you hear it you go oh i yeah. know exactly what band that is i love that you know but in punk rock you might you're gonna hear a thousand bands that sound the same and you're gonna go i don't know if it's a b c d yeah it, you hear an era instead of and, an individual band but, but that's an idea and that goes with people too you mm-hmm. hear that or you 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 hear something and you're like i know exactly who that motherfucker is <laughs> <laughs> you know you're like that only that person could emanate it. Right. And I just, I just said all that to try and speak to your point about taking the past, right? But yeah. But but using it as a guide, a, a guide, not a guideline. Yes. And then mining it, like you said. I love that metaphor, mining it. It has to be a guide. A guide. Because if you if you don't know the past then you will suffer from amnesia because you have no idea how you got here. You just woke up and you're like, I don't, I don't know who I am. I don't know who anybody is around me. 
I don't know how they got there. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how this place got here. You, You're an amnesiac, and then you, you know you have your anxiety, and maybe you become schizophrenic. Would, would you trust a painter who wants to paint? What's just called impressionism? Yeah. <laughs> but never looked at, never read a word about Monet or Renoir yeah. or Van Gogh. Yeah. Or Cezanne. Yeah. You wouldn't trust that guy, right? No. Because they're supposed to go there and mine it and then see if they can make it the new from what they... Yeah. The coal that they bring out of their How mind. are you supposed to add your own verse to the poem if you never read the poem? That's Finish. right. I used, I, I used to get in this argument. I said, you don't... With uh, another friend of mine. Yeah. I said, you don't read poetry? Yeah. No. But you write it. Yeah. Dude, that's that's bullshit. Like that, I absolutely believe that's bullshit. You should be. It's absurd. It's an absurdity. You should be. You should be studying this. To add your. Piece to the story. Yes. But I actually don't know if it's if it's invention in the modern sense, so much as it should be. Acknowledgement of what is objectively beautiful and good. Like the sonnet, the Shakespearean sonnet, and I then saying, it's... "I want to, I want to, I want to add to the story that's being told." And I think we use the word invention uh, purely for legal reasons to describe always what is discovery. Yeah. Oh man, that's such a good topic to talk about. Invention versus discovery. Mm -hmm. Everything's discovered. Nothing's invented. That's what I think. That's what you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no such thing. Like the, the laws of the internal combustion engine. Yeah. Those were discoveries. Exactly. That were that makes God more interesting. Yes. Like all of these laws were already in place. Yeah. You know, mathematics. Yeah. Two plus two. Well, it equals <laughs> five now because that's where we're at. <laughs> we're six. Whatever, man. <laughs> Whatever you want. Whatever postmodern thought you want. Yeah. <laughs> James Joyce. It can equal whatever you want. All right, well. Do you have any last thoughts? Because I rambled for that last three minutes. No, I loved it. That was great. That was great. This is a good book. Um, everybody should read it because it's American canon. Absolutely. And I, I guess I would say, if we're going to review it, you know, I'd say this is, this is definitely a fantastic novel. It's a lot. And if you're looking for a plot line to give you sort of characters to get invested in and follow, you're not really going to get that. You should you should read this because you're part of just the being on the bus, sort of along for the ride. So Amen. That's sort of that's sort of it.